Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is our second episode of Shining Pod, which, as I continue to say, it sounds pretty terrible name. So we might be switching that in the near future, but but bear with us while we are still Shining Pod at the moment. And today I am joined with Jeremy and Justin, and I am, as always, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. (laughs) Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming and talking with me about Shining Force 2. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, good to be here. No problem. So I think we can just jump right into it unless one of you guys has like a really cool opening statement. Mm, No. No, not particularly. I'm good to go. (laughs) All right, let's get going. So we'll just do sort of like passing the buck sort of. So Jeremy, how did you find out about Shining Force 2? Well, so remember in the last episode, I talked about how two friends and I played Shining Force together very shortly after it was released. And so we played through Shining Force 1, all three of us did, and I discovered Shining Force 2 the day that I went uh, to my friend Jeff's house, because he was the one that had the Sega Genesis, and he had the cartridge. We weren't voracious magazine readers at the time, so we weren't looking constantly for the next big release, and so they went to, you know, probably Hills or some department store at the time, saw Shining Force 2, picked it up, brought it home, and that, that's how I found out about it. I, I walked in and went, whoa, there's another one? Awesome. Again, you were on, like, the forefront of these games, huh? Yeah, this was, this would have been very shortly after it released. Uh, you know, 19, uh, well, these games were in 93 and 94 in the U.S., and uh, so I'm sure that Jeff picked it up not too long after it was uh, brand new. As I recall, it hadn't been very long since we finished the first one uh, before we were starting the second one. That's awesome. And how about you, Justin? Um, so I was introduced to uh, Shining Force as a series by my older brother, who uh, was an avid magazine reader and um he saw some stuff about fire emblem and some stuff about shining force and he picked up shining force when he got his sega genesis and so i was kind of all in to shining force one and then at some point there was like a little teaser clip uh like a little tiny ad in some magazine i, I don't even know which one for shining force two and it was a picture of kazen using blaze two and my brother and I were like, oh, my God, there's going to be another one. <laughs> um, and so he went, made my mom take us to Babbage's and pre-ordered it uh, like the next day. Uh, and so we got it as soon as it came out and just hammered hours into that cartridge. <laughs> That's awesome. I know that for me, I have like the weirdest history with these games, I guess. So I had played the first one, as I said, on the last episode on a computer. And then after that ended... I didn't know there were like more games. I thought it was just Shining Force One and it was sort of a one-off on the Sega. Like six years later, after I had played the first game, I was like Googling like the secrets for the first game about Mm -hmm. (laughs) different characters. And I was like, holy crap. (laughs) <laughs> there are <two> more. <laughs> it's like 20 more games we don't we don't count many of them though <laughs> <laughs> sounds fair but i remember just being like totally blown away that there were, was another game in the series uh at that point i was on emulators so yeah i had to emulate it as soon as possible and i was started on it pretty quickly after that oh yeah I remember being a little disappointed that they didn't continue with the storyline from the second game. Mm. Yeah, I was too. I was kind of expecting uh, there to be a lot more direct connection. Uh, And I think that there's only a few very minor references 
in Shining Force 2 to the first one? A few bookcases and a few lines here and there. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple of things that you find where it's like the Legend of Max, and I want to say some of the older uh, people that you talk to, not necessarily Creed, uh, but some of the the more ancient beings, like mention either like the Runefaust army or Max or or something like that. Yeah, I remember. Um, I've been playing the Game Boy Advance version of the first Shining Force game, and I feel like they tried to connect it to the second game like a lot more. Like, of course, we're recording, so an example is not popping to my head at all. <laughs> but I feel like they, they were trying to make connective tissues so hard in the Game Boy Advance version that it was almost painful. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, there are some story bits that they added, like uh, all of the Ramladu's daughter stuff. Oh, yeah, Narsha. Um, yeah, all those little like kind of in-between segments in between each chapter was pretty interesting and then yeah they they definitely added some stuff like the whole cards and the card master i i'm fine without any of that it took me a long time to figure out that like i was like how are you supposed to win these battles (laughs) (laughs) trying to plan very carefully and like i was like are these people like super powered and like i just like don't see it because they're level one or what took me a while to just be like okay i have to move on there's no this fight is not winnable and that's basically the point but uh, what did you guys like about Shining Force 2? Well, right away, number one thing that always comes to mind is the fact that experience points carried over. So in the first Shining Force game, you've got 99 experience. Your character gets a critical and the kill, and so they get 48, but only one of them actually goes towards the level up, and the rest go to waste, and Shining Force 2 fixed that. <laughs> I, think, I think the first thing that stood out to me... Uh, in Shining Force 2 is that healing gives you more than one experience. That's like such such a game changer that like my my brother was a, a hardcore grinder in Shining Force. And so he would get into the first battle. And once he realized that every time he used an item or heal with Sarah, she would get 10 experience. He sat there and farmed the first battle until he got her to level 10 so he could try and promote her and then found out it was level 20 and was like, oh, well, I'll just keep playing then. Um, but yeah, so he got Blast in the first battle. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, he's done some crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, healers were absolute monsters in Shining Force 2. And that was going to be the second thing that I mentioned. One of the things that I like about it, Master Monks. Yes. Um, yeah. Easily the yes. most dominant character I've ever had in a Shining Force game. I think it was Sarah. She was just an absolutely ridiculously overpowered character by the time I got to Zeon. You get her kind of late in the game, but I thought Sheila was like a pretty good character to have around. Oh, yes, she is. Any of them are. Karna, Sarah, Sheila, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, So so I was going to ask, I and my brother uh, as well always promoted Karna to Master Monk via the Vigor Bowl, Um, even though Sarah actually has a higher attack stat growth. Uh, and I didn't know that until a couple of years ago. Um, but my brother and I would promote Karna to Master Monk, and then we would farm with her until she hit level 99. Yep. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to ask, have you ever had a level 99 Karna? Because it's magnificent. <laughs> it wasn't Karna, it was Sarah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. But a level 99 Master Monk. Yeah, it, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I've never had a 99 anything. (laughs) Yeah, Master Monk's the only thing you can really do it with because every time you use R4, you get like, I think you just get a flat 50. So you could could level up essentially once every two battles. So you go in, use R4, egress, rinse, repeat. 
Like what like what level of damage does that do? <laughs> um you can kill Camila in one hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Uh I think I think my Karna did like a hundred and sixty critical to Zeon. Whoa. Uh, it was it was it was like a bar and a half. It was great. Man. I don't think Peter can do that. <laughs> no, Peter cannot do that. <laughs> I also like the ability to explore the world freely. That was another really nice change. It wasn't quite uh, as linear as Shining Force 1. And so being able to move around the world and, uh, and you got these hints that there were these things that you could do later on, you know, like seeing the little patch where you can use the dry stone and the, the cave that you can blow up with the dynamite. That was wonderful and a really welcome addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think one of the other things uh, from a game design standpoint, I, I love the fact that they had items that gave you special promotion classes, but, but even though uh, it's kind of up to you to figure that out and up to you to decide who you want to use that on, for each of the special promotion classes, you get a unit that is that promotion class. Like the the red baron is a baron. If you decide not to promote Jaha or um, Cyan to a baron with the warrior's pride, like that sort of stuff, you always get one of them, even if you don't promote any of the other characters. That that's way. a good point because Sheila would be the master monk. Yep. Um, Lemon is the baron, um, and then it would be Jaro, the Pegasus knight. Yep, and Taya, who's the uh, the sorcerer. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you get a brass gunner without using the silver tank? Yeah, it's Road. Road, yeah, Road is, I believe, is of the brass gunner. Is he? Like maybe yeah, Echo, if I remember right. Yeah, he is. You're right. Yeah, because it's it's either Road, Road Elric, or Janet. Yep. Like, why on earth would you use it on Elric or Janet? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, Janet's so good though. <laughs> really. Yeah. I, oh man, Janet was amazing. She was her and May uh, were my like main ranged defensive units. May I can get behind. <laughs> yeah. Same oh, May's, yeah, May's really good. But Janet, I think Janet has really good attack stat growth. I I always kept her in every playthrough till the end. Well, I'll have to do that next playthrough. I know. I have like a bunch of new things to try now. I usually I, just stick with Peter and Zinc and Geralt. <laughs> yeah, Gerholt's amazing. He, I mean, he's just Silo in in Shining Force Two. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will say, between one and two, um, the way that their RNG works and the way that their characters are built, um, you, you really can't rely on. There's there's maybe a handful of characters that you can rely on to just like be amazing every playthrough. Like Peter is always going to be amazing. Right. But I've had playthroughs where Diane was terrible and Hans was amazing, which blew my mind. <laughs> I can't um, fathom that to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it was my it was my last playthrough uh, that I did a Shining Force one uh, after they had just ported it to Switch. It was a handful of months ago. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, Hans was amazing. He was even better than. Um, uh what do you what's his name lyle lyle yeah yeah i used lyle in like two battles and i was like this sucks and i <laughs> took him out and just put hans back in hans is amazing oh. i have no idea why congratulations yeah <laughs> that's mind-blowing to me <laughs> can't picture that at all i feel like when i used to play i'd leave hans dead like i wouldn't revive him <laughs> <laughs> oh oh wow that's cruel 
That's spite. That's spiteful. It, it had more value to just not have him taking up a, a space. <laughs> yeah. He's like not, my pet peeve character. <laughs> not worth the 60 gold to revive. Nope. Another nice addition, I thought, to Shining Force 2 was the caravan. This was... Uh, oh, yeah. It was just so much nicer for uh, for item inventory management. I loved it. Um, kind of on that topic, the difference in Shining between Shining Force One and Two, the difference in the main menu system is is pretty incredible. Um, in Shining Force One, and I didn't remember this until I did my last playthrough. I know um, what you're going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You cannot look at your team members if you are not in headquarters yep. you can't see anything that they have you can't there is no information available to you about anyone including yourself nope <laughs> unless you go into headquarters and in shining force 2 they just jammed it all into the main like member yep um list has, the, has that members option now yep um and and in addition to that uh a really nice design was the ability to press left or right to get their uh, level and experience, to get all of their stat values, and in, in addition to like just their class. Yeah, um, I love that too. Yeah, really good design. Definitely, I think um, I liked. It does feel like kind of the precursor to like the open concept map. I thought that occasionally like settings of just like grass that you're walking through, like when you're out in like the main field, like on your way to the Kraken, you can get like a little lost out there. But maybe it's just because um, up front, I'm not good at video games. So like <laughs> I miss like everything. I, I know that they probably largely did this because of the limitations of uh the genesis carts themselves and and what uh what an adventure it was to develop games on them but um i always thought it was so interesting that the tile set your your actual world visuals were the same no matter where you were in the world uh same grass same sand oh, yeah. Uh, yeah you know same same everything and so even though it was multiple islands it had this very consistent, like, hey, no matter where I am in the game, I know I'm playing Shining Force 2. I know that I'm still just here in this world. I think that there's that there can be a lot of power to that. Like, hey, we're doing this really minimalist thing. We're going to use it everywhere, and it's just going to look this way. Um, but I think it can become a little bit of a negative if you're trying to create environments that are specifically different from kind of what the players were in before. But I did appreciate that unlike the first game, like instead of like traveling, you have to end the chapter. Like I appreciated that that wasn't as big a part of it. Like you had the chapters, but you could get from point A to point B without a chapter change and be able yeah. to go back. Were there chapters in Shining Force 2? No. I didn't think so. Weren't? Oh, okay. No, no, no. Shining Force 2... Um, Shining Force 2 is really just a long series of events. <laughs> and I, again, I think there's pros and cons to that. Uh, I, I think there's definitely some pros to planning out pacing from a game developer standpoint of saying like, okay, within chapter one, this is the scope of what's happening. Here's how many battles I should plan for, um, that kind of stuff. Whereas Shining Force 2, it's pretty much like, like we're really your cutoff in Shining Force 2 for like a second part or a second arc is when you leave Grands. Everything prior to that is just stuff that happens. It's definitely just a different feel. I think I think both 
I think both work really well, but I, I enjoyed not being kind of sequestered to, Hey, you know, now I can't go North to Gallum again because I'm in a different chapter kind of thing. Again, not good at video games. Like if I missed the vigor stone, like I wouldn't like get those promotions. Like I'd just be doing like the, the regular promotions. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So like being able to go back was huge. So I just checked and uh, the difference between the menus in between Shining Force 1 and 2, uh, it replaces talk with member. That's the difference. So Shining Force 1 <laughs> actually had an item for talk. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was another really big design improvement. Um, in Shining Force 1, if you pressed A or C, it would just open your um, your menu and then you would you would have to literally go down and hit like go down to search and press a or c to open something or search something uh because the default was talk whereas in shining force 2 um if you pressed c that was just your general interaction button it would talk to things it would search things it would look at stuff and then a was you getting into the menu and so having it yeah there's a lot of those nice just yeah. small improvements like that but they they made such a difference yeah well another big one is quality of life improvements i guess yes now yeah 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 huge quality of life improvements um another big one is in shining force one if you opened a chest and you did not have room in your main character's inventory that item went back in the chest and you had to deal with it <laughs> and yep. in shining force two whatever you open it would just cycle through your character's inventory so it found a new slot and put it there and say hey this person got this item and it's not only is it nice to not have to miss chests and things like that and have to go, oh, okay, the the reward, the excitement of opening that chest has now been kind of quashed because I have to go, <laughs> you know, move some stuff around in my inventory. Um, but the fact that it reads out what character is getting that item is a huge quality of life uh, improvement because then you know exactly where to look for it. Absolutely. This is actually a pretty good example of the sorts of changes that we were seeing in games at the time. You know, when you go back to something like the original Dragon Quest where there was a menu item just for going upstairs, <laughs> so, so yeah. you along you get to shine force one and there's a menu for talk well by then they figured out hey what if we just have an action button that does multiple things and so i think it's actually a, a, a pretty good example of uh the, the just general improvements in game design at the time okay so how about we take our first break and we'll get right back and we'll do our super deep cut into the game sounds okay. good we'll be right back All right, we are back from our break. We took a very long break, and we are all rested up and ready to go. What do you guys think of the plot for this game? Because I know that I thought it was a lot more intricate, but perhaps like the overall, like if you were just sort of like summarize it into a sentence, you have like your very like hero rescues the princess kind of story. So what do you guys think? Well, it was funny. The princess, uh, she didn't play much of a role aside from the very beginning and the very end. So that didn't that didn't really cross my mind very much as we were playing through the through the game. I thought the story itself overall, and I think I might have mentioned this in the last episode, was a little bit more lighthearted for the majority of the time. It didn't feel quite as as dark and gritty as the first one was. I would agree with that. Yeah, also agree. Literally, 
it was more colorful. Uh, characters were more colorful. Uh, the world was. Even the music was was pretty happy most of the time. Uh, oh, I don't want to say most of the time, but but much of the time. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the uh, there was battle music that was actually upbeat. Uh, yep. But the, but in, in terms of the story, there were some really nifty elements. Uh, meeting Vulcanon and Machula, you were you were dealing with some pretty. Uh, important individuals in this in this universe in this lore. So that was that was really cool getting to, getting to see the those gods and uh, and goddesses. Some of the really nifty elements like uh, Creed's mansion, the Taros uh, statue, these old temples. It it gave the, the world an, an ancient feel. Like there's a lot more to this world than meets the eye. And mm-hmm. so I think it definitely developed the world a lot more than the first one did. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Essentially all points. One of the things that makes Shining Force 2 such a a brighter step for the series over Shining Force 1, yeah, is is that there's a lot more color. Um, There's a a hugely different approach to music. Uh, There's way more major keys. You have these, you know, really vibrant trills on flute and stuff like that. I mean, the the main theme is used as the overworld slash battle music for like half of the game. Mm -hmm. And so you have this, this bright, like brilliant sort of triumphant march. Whereas in the first one, it's very militaristic. It's Mm -hmm. very kind of downtrodden. The, my favorite theme entirely in Shining Force One is Battle Theme Three. Uh, it's when you fight the mannequin or the marionette, rather, um, mm-hmm. and Michela and stuff like that. And it's just this, you know, hugely intense, very like just crazy snare-driven battle theme. And it's, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, and it's it's very very intense, and it's a, an amazing piece of music. But it it is a completely different emotion and and feel from that same sort of intensity in Shining Force 2, uh, like when you fight off King Gollum and stuff like that. Still very, you know, intense brooding music, but the the overall musical structures are so much brighter and, and happier as a whole in the game. You have brighter colors, you have much more diverse um, tile set. There's also just a lot more detail. I think, I don't know how much of the original team stayed on between one and two i know it was a different composer i want to say it was the same character artist but i might be wrong that's Um, actually something i don't know very much about me neither the actual yeah i know some but i don't now that i'm saying it i don't know as much as i would like to know but yeah i mean two was just a much overall brighter happier less dark uh, I mean, there were definitely things that happened in Shining Force 2 that were were not happy events. Yeah, there were so many from a storytelling standpoint. I would say the overall arc, you know, top to bottom game was was a pretty standard sort of plain fantasy. You know, hey, go adventure around this world and try and stop bad people from doing things. When you get down into the actual gameplay, like, you know, hey, cool, I got a raft from the, the mayor of this Birdman town and now I can go places and then you fight a Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> and just going to these different shrines. There were some there were some things that happened story development wise that you don't expect. The whole reveal, uh, the the Oddler slash Odd Eye reveal, blew my mind. Same here, without a doubt. Absolutely. (laughs) I did not know what to think about that character. Exactly. And you're like, okay, cool. He's just like this blind dude. And then it happens and you're like, oh, (laughs) what? (laughs) And then in, uh, I think it's Final Conflict, you're like, he like joins you for, I don't know. 
if they really give you a very good reason. He just kind of like shows up at the end with Max. Exactly. Um, also, <laughs> to be fair, making a, a game inspired by Shining Force, the reasoning bet- behind people joining you in Shining Force games is so unimportant to anything. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you literally have found me and I'm walking around this village and you have now talked to me. Obviously, I'm going to join your your shining force and, and run around the world and put myself in, in harm's way. Like in like for Taya, oh, you defeated this guy and now I'm not uh, frozen solid in stone anymore? Cool. I don't know how old I am, but sure, I'll, I'll join your party. Like, <laughs> it's hilarious that it's just never even addressed. Yeah. It's like, okay, hey, I'll join the shining force. Cool, done. Boop, play the little play the little fanfare and you're on your way. Um, and so we can, and we can, we'll get into this more later, but um, trying to kind of design or ways around that, that are a little more organic uh, has been really interesting. Oh, I, and I know what you mean. I'm, I'm having a blast. Um, all of the characters that I've developed so far, and I'm aiming for a similar number somewhere around 30 or more. Each and every one of them has a solid motivation uh, for being a part of the force. Yeah. I know that um, in shining force two, I wasn't a huge fan of like all the characters. Cause it feels like you, got a lot of characters that can't really do anything for you unless you like in like master grinding like 40 hours a week kind of thing like luke luke does nothing screech does nothing (laughs) that's true (laughs) my last playthrough of shining force 2 i tried really really hard to get something going with luke i was just really wanting it to work regardless of how hard i tried i was only doing one damage as a quick interjection my my last playthrough of shining force 1 i used bulbaroy the entire game once I got him, promoted him. He was better than I, I didn't even put in. Um, no, I did put Hanzo in. Let's let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but I didn't I didn't put in Musashi at all because he did like one or two points of damage more, I think, than Balbaroy consistently, but didn't have the range or the speed. But prior to that, Balbaroy and Amon were never in in my force. They were just never units that I could get anything to happen with. Yeah, I don't take them either. I like Balbury a lot. Um, as I had said, I'm playing through the Game Boy Advance version, and I like yeah. had no idea they were married. <laughs> <laughs> Half the details in like the Game Boy Advance version just like seem fake. Like I like my head canon of like kind of like my assumptions about these characters are so strong <laughs> having like the game boy advance version tell me different things i'm like well that's not true um i want to say they were always together yeah i think so too i'm gonna look it up really quick um well, you look that fun- up i looked something else up just to interject the, the development team just a, a quick glance at wikipedia okay. there are quite a few different names okay really, it looks that looks to be the only common name between them is the producer uh, hiroyuki takahashi oh. oh wait i take it back there was a director yes Sahiro taguchi but i looked yeah that's so, actually pretty impressive then because like this like the style is so similar like they really stuck to the formula then that's so that's so interesting to have two like anchor points of a development team and basically say okay cool we 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 made that one happen and we've got all these new ideas and then essentially i don't know obviously we don't know how it happened we don't know if they specifically brought on a whole new team or if the old team was like no we're gonna go do some other stuff and and they you know had to find a new team but you know replace the main performers on that team and say okay here's the direction you know, here's the vision, here's what we're doing, and end up with, like, I think Shining Force 1 and 2 are cohesive a lot of the time as far as the, you know, first and second entries in a series, 
but as as standalone games they're wildly different yeah i would agree um, yeah so it's 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 super interesting that you know two two people can lead two very different teams and end up with something that still feels like a shining force game yeah they really like it's impressive that they s- stuck with the art style that much cuz you kind of feel like like if i were working on a game it was a part 2 like i'd kind of want to go my own direction so it's actually pretty impressive they were able to keep that many animators doing that same style yeah both of them i wonder if uh the sprite size wasn't your typical like the super the super nintendo sprite sizes were uh, one thing i always noticed about shining force uh, was, was that the tiles and sprites were so much bigger and i wonder if that actually had a part in how they were able to keep the same style by just keep maintaining that same was it 24 by 24 i think it might be i i've never actually hmm, i've never actually looked because i i use 24 by 24 so okay. I don't know. Oh, it's 16 by 16, which almost. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I was reading the wrong part. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, yes, you, you were right, actually. The most common tile size for Shining Force is 24 by 24, but there's also 16 by 16 sprites and 32 by 32 sprites as well. So we had mentioned roughly what the plot was, I guess. Were there any like like significant like scenes or battles that you guys thought were really cool? One of the ones that stuck out to me was Creed's Mansion. Oh, the chess battle. There we go. Yep. Yep. I thought that one was incredibly cool. And I thought it was cool that um, you're introduced to all these different characters, but you can only take one. Yeah. Well, and like, that's such a, that's such a good example. um, Like we were talking about before of just really interesting story writing. I, I don't think I've played any other game that introduces you to a character that you are trying to seek help from. And he's like, cool, you'll be my new play toys and shrinks you down and sticks you on a table. And now you live with like, you know, animated chess pieces and rats, slime balls, and all these other people who have also been shrunk down. That's super interesting. Yes, it is. Um, and and then, you know, obviously as a grid-based battle system, you then naturally end up playing chess that way. <laughs> um, but then like you hijack a balloon or a pencil or something like it's that. A, and- like a dandelion seed or something yeah it it, it was something it was something that is super mundane to us as normal sized people but would be revolutionary as a a real tiny person yeah just that whole that whole sequence everything of creed's mansion was so incredibly interesting that was uh probably one of my favorite parts um i also like i found it very 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 frustrating but um i did enjoy it are you talking about the taros statue yes yeah, where you have to have the special sword to do damage. Yeah, the the Achilles blade. Yep, yep. that battle sucks. In that moment, <laughs> I hated it. I hated it more than the Abbey in the first game. <laughs> oh, Shade Abbey. Yeah, Shining Force Two was the first one to have a fog of war battle. Uh, yeah, in the cave where you fight the right Hobgoblin. Right? Hobgoblin battle. That was that was really interestingly done for sure. Then the another uh, one, well, at least in terms of environment, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly challenging battle for any particular reason. It was just a really cool environment, and that was the Nazca battle with with Camila. I have to I have to give a shout out to the Prism Flower battle because it it evoked the same sort of fear as the laser eye battle from Shining Force 1 where you just go into that battle knowing that people are going to die immediately yeah. <laughs> because with the first time you go into that battle you have no idea what you're in for you don't know how they operate mm-hmm. um, and so it's like you know okay the laser eye's here I'm waiting for it to charge up and then it just decimates everything 
that it can see and you're like, oh, okay. Um, whereas the prism flowers, they just do their thing whenever they want. A very different sort of tactical approach to those battles. And that's that's why I like them and also hate them. Yeah, um, I was actually going to mention the same battles too. Anything with the prism flowers I thought was brilliant. Of course, but brilliant. I'm trying to think of specific battles other than the, the Kraken battle. The Kraken battle's like, <laughs> the Kraken battle's the first time I say, okay, I'm going to farm this battle until everyone's promoted because I need to. I hated that battle because if you lost your um, your flying characters, like you can't win because the Kraken doesn't come close enough to you. Like, yep. Yeah, I have a friend who's very likely going to be listening to this podcast who appreciates the, the Kraken battle. It, it's almost a, an inside joke between the two of us now. So, Andrew, if you're listening, good luck on the next Kraken battle. He's going through Shining Force 2 again. So I, I uh, you're going to do it this time. <laughs> <laughs> and like the flying people you have at that point are Peter and Luke. So like if Peter dies, you're just done. <laughs> yep. I remember the last time I played through, I had to use like Lucas bait to try to get it close enough for my other people to like at least do like a range attack on it. Mm -hmm. So not yeah. a big fan of that one. Maybe if you had like a couple more like useful flying pieces, it'd be okay. Now, I think this is uh, the battles is just is one area of Shining Force 2 where I do have a, a, a bit of a complaint. I might have mentioned this in the last episode where I feel like there are just a few too many battles in the second one that are basically just crossing a map going from one corner to the other and oh, defeating exactly. all the enemies. It's a big map and you're just sort of moving and there's there's no nothing particularly remarkable about terrain uh, or, or the enemies. Take it slow and cautious and they're just not a problem. Yeah, that was uh, what I was hinting at earlier where like you're like wandering through these like various screens of trees and bridges and then you just you keep hitting the these like little micro battles that aren't super great for grinding. That reminds me, uh, the 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 battle with the bridge in uh, Shining Force Two. That was another really good one. Yeah, I think because uh, bridge battle. Let's see. Yeah, so you fight a master monk. Oh, uh, you fight a master monk and a wizard and multiple worms and wyverns. Yeah. So you have a lot of aerial units. You also have a lot of magic damage and a lot of magic healing, and it's just. And there's like holes in the bridge. It's just, it's not, it's not a lot of fun. There's uh, the battle outside Hakalon where you're going up to Vulcanon. Vulcanon. Yeah. Um, any any Shining Force battle that requires you to scale a mountain, <laughs> um, those are particularly interesting because I never feel I never feel like they're that hard. But from a design standpoint, they have a ton of choke points. And yes, so it really slows down your progress. Uh, Shining Force 1 had a ton of them as well. Yeah. Um, but it really slows down your progress, and it, it creates a lot of um, a situation that tactical RPGs don't have a lot of the time, which is one-on-one -on -one fights, mm -hmm. where you have an enemy and an ally just hammering it at each other, um, hopefully with support you know, on, on one side or the other, and until one of them dies. It's a very particular sort of thing to experience in these games where you can pretty much move characters around wherever you want and support whoever you want. And, and it takes that away and says, no, you know, you have to climb up these vines to get this part of the map. Um, and it's really interesting. I don't, I don't know necessarily that I love or hate them. I appreciate how much of a change from the normal operation of this game uh, they create. I'm actually looking through the different battle maps for Shining Force 2 at the moment. Yes, yeah, so am I. 
Uh, and boy, they're through uh, maps like, I think it's like seven through 13. And there are so many of those go from one corner of the world map to the other. There are quite a few there. Uh, oh, and I'm wrong. It wasn't Pakalan. It was not Ribble. Polka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bedell. Yeah, when you go from Polka to Bedell and you have to scale the mountain. And there's actually not, there's really not any choke points in this because the stairs to scale this battle are two tiles wide. So it really doesn't do too much of the, um, you know, kind of creating blockades in one-on-one situations. Yeah, that was really big in the first game, especially in like the shrines. I feel like they bottleneck you a lot in the shrines. Yeah, I've definitely gone out of my way to remove that from maps if I accidentally put it in and say, oh, you know, I'll I'll just give them a bunch of choke points. Well, a bunch of choke points is not at all better than no choke points. Yeah. Balance, as always. (laughs) So uh, what were some of your guys' like go-to characters? Like, are there certain characters you like really, really liked and some that you hated or? So definitely like the three main are May, Peter, and Gerhold. Okay. Those are like, those are must-haves. Every single playthrough, no matter what, those characters always outperform almost anyone else. Bowie, as a hero, Bowie is a phenomenal unit. Thank God they gave him magic finally. (laughs) Um, I remember, I remember the sheer euphoria that my brother experienced when he promoted Bowie. It was like, cool, now I'm older. Now I've got these new, you know, sprites and everything. And he goes into battle and he's like, whoa, it has new battle music. And then he levels them up and he's just like, what? <laughs> I just, hold on, I got to check this. Did I just get Bolt? <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I feel like the addition of Bolt to the main character, just make uh, Bowie such a better unit than Max, in my opinion. I've had playthroughs of Shining Force 1 where I could never properly level my Max, and so I just kept him at the back of the battle and didn't do anything with him because he would die all the time. Uh, And I've never experienced that with Bowie. Bowie's always just been run in and kill everything. I think um, some of the, like the like the kids like that didn't like super work for me because like they're like joking about like taking baths and stuff, <laughs> like being late for school. Their home is destroyed and they're on a boat and they're talking about like getting baths and stuff. Yeah, that kind of like pulled me out of it. I really liked. I like Slade a lot. I know that on like yeah. di- different playthroughs, Slade would be like either your strongest character, or like your worst. But I always like to have him in my group. Um, my first time playing through, I thought Kiwi was amazing. Like, I don't know if it's just like how it kind of like auto populates stats like every time. But like my Kiwi was doing like insane amounts of damage and could like survive like any attack or HP. <laughs> I've had some pretty good playthroughs with Kiwi. Uh, I think mine, Peter, of course. I mean, who would not, who would, who would bench Peter, right? Gerhalt for sure. And then one of the master monks, I, you know, I'm going to take Sarah. It, it, more often than not, it's going to be Sarah and usually Slade. But another one of the things that I, about Shining Force 2 that I didn't feel like I did with Shining Force 1, I don't really feel that strongly about many more characters after that. Shining Force 1, I had a few that, you know, Zylo and Guns and Domingo, oh, um, Arthur, and even characters that weren't amazing that I just, I really liked, like Gong. I, I know I mentioned that. I don't feel quite as passionate about many of the Shining Force 2 characters as I did Shining Force 1. I I would agree with that. I feel like a lot of them, like they're introduced to you a little like too weak to incorporate them in. So like you get like Higgins and Screech and Freya and like these 
and Claude and like you get them and they're just like a step far enough behind you that like you don't want to bother to keep building them up. Uh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I I think I, I feel about the same as far as Shining Force 1 characters and Shining Force 2 characters. Um, there's a lot of very unique builds in both games. You know, a, a steam-powered armadillo fighter with spears is amazing. Um, <laughs> You know, so is like the first time I got Taya and I was like, okay, I don't know what a sorcerer does. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and then you're summoning Greek gods for AOE damage. Like that's incredible. Uh, and you also, for the very first time, start to get some non- standard shining force doesn't have damage types but you're seeing non-standard damage you're doing earth damage you're doing water damage with neptune not doing earth damage i just found that out with deo it's wind damage really <laughs> yeah <What? laughs> according to somebody who replied to me on twitter who i also think is in the shining force central discord huh. i yeah. mean either way Either way, you're, you're, seeing still, yes. <laughs> things, you're seeing things that you never saw before. And so that was one of the things that I that I really just love from Shining Force 2 as a whole is that it introduces so much new stuff. Yeah, I mean, so characters-wise, there's, there's really only a handful that I can kind of give or take. I think one of the decisions that was maybe not so great in Shining Force 2 was to introduce three or four characters. I don't remember. I think it's four, maybe it's three, um, at Creed's Mansion and only have you take one. Yeah. Because then whichever one you take, that's the one that you like identify with. And you're like, okay, cool. Like I've got this character and I got them from this place where we were tiny. And you forget about the other three. Do you, you guys, you guys know you can go back and get them, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> I was convinced when we first played it, I thought there's got to be a way to go back and get these characters. So I would keep trying every so often. And then finally I got it. Yeah. It's yeah. after the mound battle. Yeah. You can go get them. There is another character that I do like, and uh, that would be Lemon. Oh, I was actually going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the whole trying to commit suicide thing. And then the fact that you never have to, uh, to revive him just like Peter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they—he's a vampire. Yeah, they don't play off that very much. I mean, he's undead, but yeah, I, I don't. Vampire thing doesn't really make it in very thoroughly. No, right. I remember. So it's interesting because I remember understanding points about these characters as a as a kid playing this game that I have no idea if it's ever explained. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's ever mentioned that he's a vampire or or there's any text that sort of alludes to that. But I always knew that he was this, like, undead vampire guy. No, he's... It's it's mentioned. Yeah, I think they talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. I didn't particularly like this character, but I thought Chaz was interesting, how, like, the remaining people, like, behind the piano. Mm -hmm. I thought yeah. that was a little story touch. I love Chaz's appearance, actually, though. I mean, he just looks so suave. Yeah, it's like the L'Oreal because I'm worth it. <laughs> me. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> because Kazen only gets Blaze and Chaz gets Blaze, Freeze, and Bolt, or maybe just Freeze and Bolt. Um, and, and, you know, now I know all that stuff. Uh, these days when I do playthroughs, I always make Kazen my sorcerer because I, I never mind losing just Blaze as an ability, whereas making Chaz a sorcerer would lose so much better spells. Yeah, I made that mistake the first time I played through. I think I might have at some point. Yeah, that's uh, what I was like getting at with like, you like get these characters, but they're sort of like a step behind where everyone else is at that point. Yeah. Do I really want to go all, all in on Chaz? <laughs> 
when like already have Kazan built up, you're just sort of at, like, and if you get Tyrion, you're really laying it on thick with the magic. Yeah. So what magic users do you take? I mean, you, we basically got what four? We got Taya, Chaz, Kazan, and and Tyron. Do you ever wonder if you're pronouncing these names right? That's how I mean. It started this podcast was to- <laughs> at, at this point <laughs> at this point just go go with what you w- with whatever you said the first time that you saw it as long as you pronounce it wire not wyvern that's the only thing that matters <laughs> let's just put that on the table real quick kazin 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 because yeah kazin like it it doesn't matter everybody knows what character you're talking about yeah just, just so long as you're not mispronouncing like normal words like uh yeah so which of the four which of the four do you guys take or does it vary from one to the next i don't i don't remember if sorcerer kazen and Ty or taya is a better unit i don't remember which of those two i'm honestly half the time i might take both um because two sorcerers is always better than one i definitely have I think really what it comes down to is that I never use Tyrant for anything. I'll have Chaz in there for for higher level freeze and bolt, and then which or both of the sorcerers. I would definitely take Taya, and I I remember I've tried to get to be a useful piece, but he usually just ends up in the caravan most of the game. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, same here. I I, I typically take Kazen and Chaz. And sometimes Taya just depends. I like you. I don't remember who or even if one is better than the other. I just, I, I typically will take one of them as the sorcerer. Taya is usually my like. If I'm only gonna have one magic user with me, it'll be her. Jiren just has such a cool look that you just like want it to work out so bad. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's the one of them that really looks like an old wizard. Yeah, because then it's just like this young sort of elf boy, and then. Um, Chaz is, yeah, Chaz, Chaz looks like a conquistador. <laughs> yeah, he has that Don Quixote vibe. Yeah. yeah, with the, with the, like, gold tiara. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, Ty- Tyron, like, looks really cool, but I, I don't know if he has any, if he can, like, really back it up. I'm kind of making a, a mental list of characters to take with me next time, because uh, I'm, I'm going to do a second string run through all of these games. I will say Gaian. Gaian is the character. Yeah. Gaian and Randolph, I never remember that they exist. Like, Gaian could be completely removed from the game, and it would not at all change my experience <laughs> whatsoever. I appreciate that Gaian, like, if you look at his picture, I have the character list up right now. Yeah. He looks exactly like Gimli from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Like, you should have just called him Gimli and, like, s- like swooped in a marketing opportunity. <laughs> and then I've, I don't know if I've ever even used Randolph, honestly. Freja was cool because always take him, but it is like the classic medieval monk look or priest. I mean, I, he's a priest, I guess, of, you know, Vicar, but still the <laughs> that shaved head and the, the bowl cut. Yeah, like Freya, Chaz, and Tyran almost kind of seem like they're from another game completely. <laughs> <laughs> Because everyone else has like like the bright faces and like they you all look mad. Uh, Claude. Uh, I I wanted to use Claude. I never wanted to use Claude. I was like, cool. That arm went to a golem. I'm never gonna use him. Oh, I use him almost every time. Really? Yeah, I save the turbo pepper for him. Ooh. Yeah, I I, I give him the the movement boosting items and uh, he becomes quite a monster. I would always. Uh. My turbo pepper on zinc. Oh, that's a yeah. It, usually, I'll save it for one of the two. Because I feel like zinc is a really underrated, powerful character. So in my in my shining force one playthrough that I just did, I missed getting Adam. I forgot to win when to go and get him. 
You can miss Adam? Yeah, so I just I missed him. Yeah. know that. <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> um, yeah, I never went down the hallway to where he is. So like all that event stuff that happened, it just oh, didn't. Wow. And then I was just like <laughs> in the chaos battle. And I was like, hmm, I feel like something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I really didn't know you could do that. I would probably do that because I'm not a very I'm not very high on Adam personally. Well, that's an interesting bit. Uh, Zinc's Japanese name is translated Bacchus. Yeah, I just saw that. that. Really that's interesting. Really I would never connected a robot with uh, with Bacchus. <laughs> I never I never realized that his attack growth was so massive. Oh yeah, he's like the most. Mm -hmm this game very interesting i'll definitely have to to make a point to use them i i definitely always thought that his chest laser was the coolest thing <laughs> yes oh yeah and if, if i'm not gonna have a steam armadillo having a chest laser is a, a really good second for this <laughs> for this installment mm -hmm. um oh also yeah eric eric completely so eric so it is for eric karna randolph tyron yeah. Karna is the only one. Tyron is memorable because of his face. Yeah. Karna is the only one that actually matters. Uh, and I always take <laughs> Karna every single time because if you don't take her, you go through almost the whole game with just Sarah as your healer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so passing up on Karna at Creed's Mansion is like, that's a pretty big game changer because that means you have so much more reliance on item use and item inventory. I remember the first time I played, I picked eric and i continued playing and i was like this guy is just awful like <laughs> absolutely nothing to my team so like i went back to my save point and went and picked tiran and then he wasn't very good either and <laughs> i was just like okay i'm not i'm not restarting again yeah because <laughs> i know at the time that you could get them all and like after two of them were like kind of low levels not worth building on i was just i was just done yeah yeah the centaur knights in shining force 2 really didn't do much for me at all i mean and i'm talking in terms of character and ability they're just i don't know are, are any of them better than the other i think higgins or or jaro yeah i think higgins or or jaro are are better i mean jaro is at least gonna have more movement yeah and because the wings and everything oh his attack growth is atrocious <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh but um, shining force one those those centaur knights like between yeah. l and Ernest, arthur i think i think even um Vancar, I think all of them can become beasts. Even aside from them as units, um, all of them are memorable. All yeah. of them have personality. I would say the least of which is probably Vancar. You know, as soon as Pele joins my team, boom, he's in. He's amazing. And then he's just in long enough for me to get Ernest. <laughs> because <laughs> Ernest is, he looks cool. Yeah. He literally bashes himself through a wall <laughs> before you get him. Like they really, they really hype this guy up, and he delivers because he's an amazing unit. Um, May's a princess, so like, just yeah. or no, is she a princess? No, no she's Varios's daughter. Yeah, May's Varios's daughter. May uh, Henri is the princess. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just I mean, so memorable. And in here, it was like, well, we had centaur knights before, and we got two now, so here's a bunch of centaur knights. I guess at some point they said, hey, let's give one a bow, and she's the only one that matters. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I remember Rick being an okay piece. I did use Rick. I did use Rick for a while. Um, and I used Chester as long as I needed to. But once once I had once I had Janet, essentially, uh, which, I mean, you get Rick before Janet, but once I had another 
two tile attacker. Uh, Chester didn't really matter. Do you keep Janet as an archer, or do you uh, promote her to uh, brass gunner? Always archer. Yeah. Always, always archer. Yeah, the brass gunners just can't move. Oh, that's extremely interesting. Judging by what I'm looking at for Janet, it doesn't look like the pr the special promotion class alters her stats at all. The, like there's there's not even a line in here for a second set of graphs. It's just base class and then promotion. Um, so I guess it really doesn't matter which one you make her. That's interesting. That's good to know. So you don't waste your uh, promotion item on her. Yeah. And so it's different for Elric. Um, I don't. I don't know. Let's no, it's the same. Up. It's the same? Yeah. I wanted to like Elric a lot. I did too. He looks really cool. Like, again, like I mentioned this last episode, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Time you get like an elfy looking character. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sold. And then I'm in the Shining Force games, I'm usually disappointed. <laughs> yeah, Hans, Hans could not deliver. Hans is not there. Play Shining Force CD. Oh, it's it'll so make good. the it'll make the hurt go away when it comes to the archers. <sighs> Shining Force CD, like the the number one most memorable thing for me in Shining Force CD is the soundtrack. Oh it's yeah, so phenomenal. Yep. And and that uh, chapter one, you like start you know with a force and all these items, and you're on a ship, and then you shipwreck and you lose <laughs> it all. And it's like that's so cool. I mean, it's very like Symphony of the Night, but um it's it's such a cool way to start it's such a different way to start a shining force game normally you start with like the cobbled together you know group of friends or whatever and this is like hey i'm a prince and i'm going off on my own and you know you can really take on enemies the first couple of battles and then you shipwreck yes you can <clears throat> have you played shining force cd i know we're going a little off topic there but uh i uh, haven't actually. Yeah? Uh, it's, it's next on my list um after I finished the Game Boy Advance version, which I'm very much looking forward to, because I feel like they like overpower Max in the Game Boy version. <laughs> so like, at at one point in the game, you get like an attack. Uh, Supernova. Supernova, and that yeah. just like can beat anything. <laughs> they there's definitely some story stuff that they try and do in the Game Boy Advance one towards the end. That's just like it's pretty cringy. Yeah. Because because you're like. What? Why though? Why did that happen? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's still it's still a lot of fun, but I would put it under. So I, for for overall rating, I would say Shining Force Two is top, and then Shining Force One, and then Shining Force CD, and then the GBA Shining Force One. I think like it feels like with the Game Boy Advanced version, and this like might not quite make sense, but I feel like they tried to make all the characters like sexy. <laughs> in the uh, game all the characters like they're all blushing and like wide-eyed smiles and it feels like in the in the game boy advance version they're all like like done up and like sexy is like the only that. word coming to mind <laughs> i've never noticed that i gotta i gotta look this up to, <laughs> to remind myself maybe i'll try to put put some up on twitter or something but like like luke looks like way different like, there's a much better word than sexy, but that's really the only one coming to mind right now. <laughs> like, the side-by-side -side comparisons are just, like, really jarring. They definitely changed Max's art. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, ke they kept Kane looking like David Bowie, though, so, like, that was all right. <laughs> but overall, still kind of weird. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm looking at Diane's art. It's so different. Yeah, they like made them all sexy. They made them look more like '80s anime, like like facial facial design and stuff. Wise. Ah, uh, that's actually a pretty good description. Probably what struck me as like the weirdest sort of out, like like the biggest difference. Oh, Hans looks. Wait, which one's the biggest difference? There's a better word than sexy. I just don't have it right now. <laughs> There's not always a better word than sexy, though. Sometimes <laughs> sexy is really just the best word that you can use. <laughs> um, like, oh, man. Not bad. They're just, like, elevated. <laughs> I, for, I, t I totally forgot how, how different all of that is. Yeah, Diane really does look a lot different. I mean, it looks like uh, Amon's kind of giving you come hither eyes. Yeah, well, I thought always thought not that like gender or anything matters like that but i always thought they were both dudes <laughs> well that could account for why you didn't realize they were married at first yeah because i thought they were just both uh, bird men really. yeah oh like i don't care matter to me but they give them like really like uncomfortable like romantic lines together that i thought were weird <laughs> <laughs> that's fair <laughs> so like, boss battle what do you think of zeon Oh, uh, as far as Zeon goes, I kind of felt like it was kind of an easy battle. Oh, <laughs> I have had some real hard Zeon fights. Um, I don't think I've ever lost to Zeon. I, I don't actually, I don't know that I have, um, but I know that I don't think I've ever gone into the Zeon battle feeling like I was going to pull it off really well. Mm hmm. Like I, I always go into the Zeon battle like, okay, like this is this is the real deal. <laughs> and I mean, you're fighting. He has three Demon Masters, five Pyrohydras. Oh yeah. Two, two more Prism Flowers, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a, a, you know, a couple of aerial units. Like he's he's pretty stacked. And then he has more life bar colors than you've ever seen before that was the that was threatening the first time yeah and, and it's, it's it's such black yeah exactly it's such an incredible just little tidbit that like by this point in the game you probably i mean you have fought off so like king gallum has 240 hp so he has more than just the yellow and green life bars and so you're like oh okay there's more than one life bar, obviously. And then you get to Xeon, and it's just black. And you're like, how many life bars is that? <laughs> how many colors are there from yellow to black? <laughs> I have implemented that in my progress bar, too. I thought about it. But the way that our real estate is working, um, it was a lot easier to just have the bar be a finite length and just have it be a percent representation. Okay. I ha we, we have implemented, I don't know that I've ever tested it, but we have implemented, I think, uh, that anything over, uh, uh, over a 99 value will go to question marks. Okay. Yeah, I, well, from a real estate standpoint, I mean, if it doesn't matter uh, the way your UI is set up, um, you know, then obviously you don't have to do it, but the way that our UI is set up, um, we only have two digits for HP and SP. So, um, you know, <laughs> there were a lot of times where I'd go into a battle and I'd just 99 all of my characters for the hell of it. Um, and I'd go into battle and my, my UI is just jacked because there's an extra digit there that's just overlapping everything. 
we can probably start making our way to our break because we've been going just under an hour at this point. But um, one other thing, I did some reading on this just so I didn't sound like a total idiot <laughs> as far as like details goes because it has been a little while. But apparently there's like a sequel game called Shining Wisdom that continues Sarah in Kazin's story. Have you, uh. have you played that? <laughs> uh, I haven't. I have. I've, I've got a Saturn now, but the game is exorbitantly expensive. It's is it really? It's it so hard to find. It's well, it's easy to find. It's just it's it's like two hundred plus. If well, uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they they only made a, a, a like a finite amount of copies. Same for same for Shining Force Three. So the copies that do exist are very expensive. Yeah. Um. It's not. It's not a good game. It's not a lot of fun. You basically, I don't know why they would do this, but you... So it's, it's an action RPG, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically Zelda. Um, and, and there's a lot of really cool systems to it. You get all these different elemental abilities that you can use, and whatever like weapon that you have, I think, determines what that ability does, whether it's like a fireball or like a, like a, a blast, like an AoE blast around you kind of thing. But for you to run which you need to do all the time because the movement pace is incredibly slow. Um, <laughs> you have to you have to mash your run button Ooh. to build up a run gauge, and then you just expend that run gauge until you're walking again, and then you mash it again. It creates absolutely horrible gameplay. That is That's disgusting. Really frustrating. It's 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 not good. It is. I had very high hopes for this game when it came out. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to have a brother who uh, was more than happy to work his summers and save up all of his money and um, buy every RPG at JRPG that came out day one uh, for, for any and all systems that we had. So I got to play a whole lot of stuff that I otherwise would probably not have been able to, including Shining Force or uh, Shining Wisdom. Um, as a as a counterpart to this, Shining the Holy Ark is amazing. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the other one. That's the is it's um it's a first a continuation person. of uh, Shining in the Darkness, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a first person dungeon crawler with a party with your classes and your promotions and your spells and all that kind of stuff. It's just very very well done. It it's such a cool game. Yeah, I have to check that one out. I just I, after like looking up Shining Wisdom, it was just like blowing my mind that they picked like two characters that I personally didn't find that interesting, and like having them be like the sequel characters to go with. Yeah, I need to do some reading on this because I never played Shining Wisdom more than maybe like an hour uh, that I could stomach of it. Um, I think my <laughs> I think my brother got pretty far, but I know literally nothing of the story storyline characters, none of that do some reading up on this if it if it does have ties to uh previous characters yeah it's just like i could think of like a bunch of other narratives that would interest me far more than than those two characters and what they do afterwards but um yeah i just was wondering if you guys had heard of it like I couldn't even really find like google image images of like screenshots of the game oh you can find some uh, youtube videos i think yeah, there's there's pretty much let's plays of everything that exists at this point. Okay, well, how about we transition to our break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Justin's game that he's making. Sounds Ooh. good. Yeah, sounds good. 
All right. All right, we're back for our final segment. We're going to listen to Justin talk about his game. So let's start off with what is your game called? Okay, uh, so I'm working on a game called War of Alana. The name of that game um, runs together every time I say it. So it sounds like War of Alana, but it's Valana with a V, which sounds a lot like the F that comes right before it. But um, yeah, so War of Alana is 16 bit inspired shining force 2 <laughs> inspired uh tactical rpg that combines a lot of modern quality of life rpg systems with really the old shining force design which is tactical non-isometric grid-based battles with a typically large colorful cast of characters and then in between your tactical battles you don't just navigate menus you get to walk around and explore the world and talk to people and go into shops and look at stuff and read bookcases and you know all of those things that we fell in love with in the shining force games that no other game has done at least not not on that level that i'm aware of and so war of lana came to be um because i had i had decided in 2010 that i wanted to be a game designer even though I couldn't code and I was going to just do whatever I could do myself and figure out how to make up the difference. And uh, a couple years later, after I designed a whole ton of games that have never been made, I was started working in IT and I met a guy uh, who traveled to the same job that I did. Uh, and he said, yeah, you know, I, I'd love to love to make games. I just don't really have any ideas. And it was it was really oh, you know, you kind of kind of kismet. I was like, I have literally <laughs> like dozens of ideas. Um, I just can't code. And he was like, Well, yeah, like let's let's work together. I, I know C sharp, I know some other languages, like what would you like to use? And I was like, if you know C sharp, then we might as well just start in Unity. Um, because they've developed out their 2D tools a little bit better now. And he said, okay. And so he was like, So what do you want to work on? And I was like, Well, my roommate and I have been working on this massive six-part JRPG series that we really want to make. So let's just dig into that. And we put about 10 months into it and contracted some hand-drawn art and stuff like that. And we realized that like, we're just, we're staring down like a $3 million production. <laughs> and it's, it, I mean, it's just not, we're, we're basically, this is Final Fantasy VI in the style of Fantasy Star. So character busts, um, all hand-drawn, uh, each, you know, each section uh, or each each chapter of the game, each each of the six parts has a different um, POV protagonist kind of thing. It's it's massive. So we got about ten months into that, and I was like, I let's bite off something a little bit smaller uh, that that we could maybe do like just the two of us with like maybe some help on the music side. And it was like, okay, well, I mean, let's let's do whatever. And so I was like, all right, I want to make. A Shining Force game. I want to make the Shining Force 3 or 4 that we never got. You know, I'm going to start doing pixel art. I'd never really done pixel art before that. Uh, I still have, I think, the first image that I like doodled together in paint at work one day uh, <laughs> of like, what should my pixel characters look like? And it's it's so bad. But but so we did that. It was It was nice to kind of have a project where 
art was only held up by me. And it's, it's funny that I say that now because we're almost four years into it and we're done with the code and it's really just me that's holding everything up. Um, but, but then it was nice to be able to just be like, oh, I need a UI box. Okay, boom, here's the UI box, put it in. Um, and, and not have to like, okay, I'm going to pay out this money and then I'm going to wait a couple of weeks and then I might get an image that I'm happy with. And so we really closed the loop on the development process and we were able to do a ton of work pretty quickly. We got maybe a year and a half into it and my contract at work was ending and we were 60% or so done with the coding engine. Uh, as far as all the little systems that have to be built inside Unity for a JRPG to exist and function. And I said, hey, instead of me looking for another job right away, let's kickstart. Let's see if I can let's see if I can just raise some money for this project because I can live on I can live pretty minimally. Uh, and I'm doing the you know the the bulk of the asset work on this. And it would be really cool to just have a pile of money that I can dip into to live on and then just you know, work 12 hours a day, crazy crunch for the next like year and try and get this game out. Uh, and he was like, okay, <laughs> he's, he's great. He's pretty much down with whatever. He's also like a complete wizard at code. Uh, so huge, huge shout outs to uh, the other Justin that I work with, who um, is the, the cornerstone of everything that I'm doing. Um, so yeah, so we kickstarted. There were a bunch of people that threw in for it and were really excited about it. Um, but there was always the exact same comment, which was this game is really exciting. I'm really excited to see the style. It needs new art. I had approached the art in such a way that it would be feasible for me to do the full scope of the game's art in a pretty short amount of time. So it was very little to no detail. Um, very like I was still pretty new in the pixel art game. So I didn't really understand anything about um, like color palettes and how coloring works and all that kind of stuff. And I, I have an art background, but I did music for a very long time in between then and now. And I'd kind of forgotten everything that is the core foundation of an artist. I really took that to heart and I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be very glad that this Kickstarter is not going to happen. Uh, so I'm not beholden to anybody because me redoing the art at this point, I think needs to happen. Um, but it also completely derails any sort of timeline I have for this game. Cause I have no idea what we're into now. Um, and so when we kickstarted, I was more than 50% done with all of the tiles, maps, animation effects, character sprites, enemy sprites, animations, all whole, everything. I was more than 50% done with the game. At that point, I said, okay, screw the timelines, whatever. Let's dig into art. Let's." And so I, I, I asked some artist friends of mine. I was like, hey, can I ask you for feedback on stuff? Sent them a whole bunch of sprites. What should I fix? And they said, okay, desaturate literally everything. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And I, I had shown it off to my friend Ruthie, uh, who's a graphic designer in New York. And she said... She, she said something to me that was, you, you know, when somebody says something that you know, but it's like a light bulb, it's like the first time you've ever heard it in your life. Yep. Um, she was like, it's like you're using paint straight out of the bottles. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> That's, that makes perfect sense. That's literally exactly what I'm doing. I'm an idiot. And so, um, so yeah, I started, I just dug in from the very beginning, from the very first character sprites and the very first tile map, 
I just went tile by tile and I recolored things and I added detail and I added shading and I went to some of my other artist friends and they were like, your, your mountain tiles look like wood. <laughs> what is, <laughs> what is happening here? And I was like, okay, help me. And so they would just, they would just like spam me with Google images of like, Hey, here's Seiken Nisetsu 3. This looks great. But do, do something like that. Here's this other game. Do something like this. And so it was this like year and a half long process of just experimenting with trying to completely wash away everything I'd done and redo it. Um, and I ended up with kind of a version two of almost all of the art that I had made previously. And I was feeling a lot better about it. And then I showed it off to a few people and it was one of the, I don't know if he's the CEO. It was one of the guys who works at Chucklefish. Oh. And he was like, hey, uh, huge improvements on design and everything, but um, you're using way too many colors. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not using a palette. Huh, it's fine. And he was like, no, you you should really, you should really try a palette and see what happens. And I was like, okay, fine. And so I I took my main tile set. Um, that's all of my grass and my sand and you know all that kind of stuff. And I pulled out all of the colors from it and said, okay, how many colors am I working with? And so I realized that like my grass was like, you know, nine colors <laughs> or something, <laughs> something completely ludicrous. <laughs> and and the, so so I was like, okay, obviously I have to fix that. Grass should only be like two, three colors. But the thing I also realized was that my color ramps were extremely shallow from my highest, most like light value to my darkest value. It was very close. <clears throat> and so I had this sort of weird, creamy shading effect going on in everything. And I was like, I don't have any dark enough colors. And so I, I started from there and I, I started creating a palette for the game. And I would, I would basically take um, you know, like a mid-tone that I liked and I'd go up, uh, you know, up four or five steps and down four or five steps. And I'd say, okay, here's the ramp for this color. And so that was January two years ago, I think. And I said, okay, uh, I'm going to start a another whole art redo of this game. And so while this is going on, Justin's over here building out, um, you know, the equipment engine and... Um, a lot of our smaller systems, like, um, hey, now we can trade items back and forth in battle or outside of battle. Hey, now our shop, you know, works all the way. Um, you know, here's all these other UI panels that we've never developed out uh, previously, and, and now they work now, and, and stuff like that. So he was just kind of spinning off on the side, making huge code progress while I was <laughs> scrapping an entire asset revision and and really starting over again um and and i mean using the same assets but just saying okay you know here's my new ramp let's go in and color everything to do that and once i started showing off the differences that was when it was like okay now this is you know now i'm getting really good feedback from people who are very good artists that i trust and that say that this looks really good um so now i feel so much better about it and and I do think it looks a lot better. You know, looking back at the original art, 
now I'm like, what was I do? What what was I doing for a year? That, <laughs> that this other art was somehow acceptable to me. Like I really had just put on these goggles of like, no, it has to be this way. It's 16 bit. It's fine. Um, and it it really was a huge detriment to what I was doing. So I'm I'm glad that a a lot of people that I didn't know yelled at me until I realized that I I should maybe. <laughs> I should I should at least consider changing what I was doing, uh, and I'm I'm massively happy for that. But so in that process, um, I actually brought a whole bunch of people onto the team. Uh, I I manage well loosely manage um, almost all of them are contract. It's really me and Justin at the core, and then my composer Andrew who came on in 2016, I think. Um, phenomenal composer, uh, really really close friend of mine now. Um, literally met him because he, I posted the game on Instagram and he commented and was like, Hey, this looks really cool. Do you have a composer? <laughs> and I was like, I'm the composer. Well, do you want to not be the composer? That's not really how it went down. But I was like, Hey, you've got some pretty good skills. Uh, and I know quite a bit about music. So would you be interested in doing this? And I can't really offer you much right now. And he was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm definitely down to work on this and, and we can, you know, make it up in the future or whatever. And then IT jobs got a lot better and my salary doubled and I could pay him uh, a good chunk of money. But he's done phenomenal work uh, on this. And I work with a character artist and an object animator in Wales. Um, oh, Twi- cool. Yeah, Twitter Twitter is an amazing place. To yes, it is. Super talented people. And be like, hey, can I give you money? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually, I've had composers message me, and I've always, I hate to say no because there's some really good composers and artists out there, and yeah. uh, and I had a composer long before I started posting things on Twitter. So I've, I, you know, it pains me to do because you know these people are talented and deserve recognition. But yeah, yeah, that's that's essentially the, the situation I'm in. I I know a whole lot of composers uh, now that I've met through Andrew and and uh, Emmanuel, who's my sound designer, who I also met through Andrew at GDC a couple years back. And it, it's it sucks because I love networking with them and I love meeting new people. And they're like, oh, hey, what are you working on? Oh, you're a game designer. Do you need a composer? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I have not needed one for quite a while. Really cool. So um, I know that I've had a lot of fun like fo- like following you along on, well, both of you guys actually on Twitter seeing seems like you guys have made some pretty big jumps this summer alone god what 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 has this summer even been um <laughs> i know exactly what mine has been that's <laughs> <laughs> my, my summer has been a lot of things um so yeah right now we are i am in a mad dash of event and dialogue coding mm. to get us from the beginning or really the middle point of chapter two to the end of chapter two. And then very shortly into chapter three really marks the halfway point for playable uh, for playable gameplay, which I'm, I'm super excited to get to. Um, so yeah, we're, right now we're five chapters. We were originally six, I cut two, and then recently was like, I don't have enough. It's, it's the Shining Force um, tile set thing that I was telling you about. It's like, I don't have I have variations in like what sort of grassland you're in, but I don't have a lot of variations that are that sort of standard RPG uh, like biome progression. 
Um, and so I, I thought about some, some sort of environments and how I could change them so that it, it felt a little more like a progression um, and not just another green area where you're fighting people. All right. <clears throat> so like, what's, what's our basic plot? Like, don't spoil it. Just tell us who dies at the end. But like, right. <laughs> so, um, okay. So really the plot is you play Arnon who is the hunter in this little uh, village at the base of um, this mountain range. That's, I mean, that's it. You are, you are a village hunter. You're a nobody, essentially. You're coming back from a hunt. Um, you find out that bandits have kind of taken over your town. And so you fight your way back in, and uh, they've kidnapped one of the townspeople. And so you go and you know adventure up the mountain to go and, and free him and in doing that um you're kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time and you witness a, a pretty foreboding event where um a being from how do i explain this um so you're you're in a country called alta and to the east of you is a country called covell and covellians are essentially my elves um and so you are in in alta in your little town and you know in your your safety and there is a whole long history of wars between alta and covell and so you go up into the caves and the mountains to free this villager that was kidnapped and there's an earthquake and you find yourself in this old forgotten shrine and there's a Covellian in there who has like taken something and come out of a wall behind this giant mural and they summon a whole bunch of undead and then teleport away. That's probably bad. <laughs> there's been a lot of wars already and we're fine now, but now we might not be fine anymore. And so uh, for the for the first bit of the game, a lot of it is we don't know what's happening, but this doesn't feel right. And so we need to see what that woman is doing and what she took and so you you kind of go on this adventure chasing after her to to see what you know what's going on and, it, and if it's bad for, for you and your country and your and your your village and your you know your loved ones um then you want to try and stop it okay so um it could be that i'm just making this up but it almost sounds like it has kind of like an earthbound sort of feel to it that's that's pretty astute actually my my main my main design reference for that was actually Chrono Trigger. Okay. Because Chrono Trigger, and it's it's one of my favorite ways to start telling a story where you are, you know, you're not legendary. You're not this fabled anybody. You're not a prince. You're just a normal dude or, or, or girl. You're a normal person um, who happens to bear witness to something that could affect everything. And you take it upon yourself to, at the very least, figure out what's going on and see if you can stop it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and from there, you know, everything kind of cascades into a big, long storyline. Um, but I, I really like that setup of just, I'm doing my day to day and things happened and I have to, you know, I have to make the best of it or, or put myself out there to try and, to try and fix it. Now you said that, uh, your main character, and this is your main character is the hunter. Yeah. And, are they an archer? They are. Uh, and so that, that's, that's very specifically done. I 
Um, I did not want to design another game uh, where the protagonist was a dude with a sword. Sounds familiar, doesn't it there, Daniel? <laughs> there's, there's so many there's so many games. I mean, it is the main RPG trope um, <laughs> where you're a dude probably with blue or blonde hair uh-huh. and you have a sword. And as the dude with a sword, you just run into battle. Um, and, and so, you know, wanting to kind of subvert that trope in, in a lot of ways, I said, yeah, okay, I, I want to have an archer be my, my main character. I want to have the protagonist not be a sword arm character. Um, and then in very early playtesting, I realized that I needed to do some design around that because every single person who picked up the game just ran into battle and they would run right up to an enemy. <laughs> and as an archer, can't at least in War of Alana, as an archer, you can't attack adjacent enemies. Yeah. So they'd run right up to an enemy and then stop, uh, like, like pass their turn. And they'd say, <laughs> what happened? And I'm like, well, you're an archer. And they were like, well, I don't know that. And I was like, I, okay. It, it really, it really showed me a lot of design work that I needed to do around the idea that not everyone, not everyone knows what an archer looks like. Um, you know, even if I say, hey, you're an archer, um, they don't necessarily know what that means. Yeah, what's so, that mean in terms of gameplay? Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that we implemented was, um, uh, you guys saw in some of the screenshots I sent, when you stop moving in battle, there's a red... Uh, there are red tiles on the grid that start to glow and that shows your attack range. Um, and so whenever you're not moving, that shows. So as soon as you start your turn as Arnon, you can see, okay, here's my attack range. And, and that, that has helped a lot of people not just flagrantly run into battle and die, uh, which is really good. <laughs> I think it's really cool how you and I both had the same reaction an idea that let's let's dispose with this idea of having to have a, a young valiant swordsman with short hair uh, and and have something different for our lead character. Um, and but it's great that we both went different directions too. You you uh, have an archer and mine is an aging woman magic user. Uh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, so as a it's not really a spoiler alert because God knows when they're going to come out. Um, but War of Lana is the first of three games that are planned storyline-wise for uh-huh. this. And so each each of the three games has a different protagonist. Okay. Uh, Ar- Arnon does show up in all three. Um, but the second protagonist, all, all three are not a sword user. Um, Arnon, as an archer, is the, the first protagonist. And the second one is a, like a, a kid magician who is in uh, a magic academy. Uh, and it took me like hours not to to figure out how to make him not look like just a pixelated Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> I knew where that was going. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the the third game is actually uh, a a female cleric who is your your main yeah. character, and she has kind of her own trials and 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 journey uh, that that take place that you play through that everything else that happened before ties into. So will you have um, similar like 20-ish characters like Shining Force or will you have more like four or five? The current count is 21. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's 21 in War of Alana. Um, some are special classes. Some are non-special classes. So, like, you know, we have we have archers, ar- archers, warriors, soldiers. Um, the biggest difference between a warrior and a soldier is uh, warriors use axes 
and soldiers use swords. So my, sol uh, my soldiers are the uh, spear users. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, that's my lancer. <laughs> so um, it sounds like it might be like a little bit of a darker game. Is that kind of what you're going for? Like a darker take, or is there going to be like to look forward to like more like characters talking about taking baths and stuff? Or <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's really interesting. I think overall the storyline, like the story writing, the the overall plot direction, uh, is pretty dark. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of really uh, kind of I won't say borderline messed up, but it's 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 a pretty <laughs> dark plot overall. And I mean the the first game is probably the least dark because the majority of it is you know you just chasing these people down. That I contrast that well with really bright environments, um, a really bright orchestral soundtrack. It's not, it's not Shining Force too bright. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of in between that like staunch militaristic Shining Force 1 and the super bright Shining Force 2. Andrew, as a composer, has, has not played a lot of JRPGs. Um, he loves Fire Emblem games, but like he's played maybe half of... Final Fantasy IV, and that's it. But as a as, as a composer, he writes music that is very indicative of Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy VI. Um, there's a couple of our tracks that are, are very John Williams, um, which is super, super cool. Really so, yeah, I mean, the, the soundtrack's really all over the place. We have waltzes, we have, you know, we have some camp songs that are him just playing acoustic guitar, like classical guitar and like tambourine and stuff like that. It's pretty. It's a pretty wide variety of locations and feels and sounds. So, how many like useless Hans-like characters can I look forward to in your game? <laughs> like, um, how many of them are I just gonna want to leave dead rather than have them in my party? So, right now, I can only think of one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's awesome that you admit to it. <laughs> so, so the only reason that I bring him up is because you get this character. You get Saren. So Saren's your Lancer. He's going to be, he's a defense build. So he's like a fire emblem knight. Um, he uses spears, which I give spears two squares of range, but he also gets an ability called pierce. If, you know, if you have two enemies lined up and he runs over and he can hit them both with his spear. And I'll talk about this more in a little bit. The only reason that Saren comes up to me is because you get him right before a couple of far more interesting characters and so I just, I never end up using him because there's just not, I would just rather use other characters. It's not that he's worthless or uninteresting. The way that I play the game, I'd rather have someone else that, that you get like, you know, a couple of battles after. Okay. So um, what, do you have like a tentative like release date or like when, when can I expect to be playing this? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> um. <laughs> I would really, I would really, really like to have it done maybe late next year. It, it really all just depends on how fast I can do the other half amount of of work, or the other the other half of the game's amount of map making is the real problem. Enemy animations go pretty quick. Effect animations go pretty quick, uh, even though there's a lot of them. All the icons are done. A lot of the story writing is done. Um, so I'd say the biggest time sinks are making maps and making tile sets for maps and then 
coding all of the events and switches. But I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping to be well into or done with chapter three by the end of this year, and m- maybe not holistically. You know, maybe not every ability that you would have at that point or or every single one of the enemies in chapter three battles but if i if i can get to the point where i only really have uh two chapters to try and tackle next year plus you know polishing and additional qa and stuff like that i i could maybe do end of next end of next year that's that's really where i want to be i don't know if i'm going to be there yet but that's where that's where i'd like to end up all right well i know i'm really looking forward to it a little i know you guys are both game creators so thoughts or things you want to add in as we kind of make our way towards wrapping this up well i think uh, one of the questions that i'm wondering what was wanting to ask is how does it differ from shining force i know that i've talked to a few others who are also uh, working on shining force style projects and we've all taken it taken it in slightly different directions mm-hmm. we've all had our ideas of what shining force what what could have improved on shining force without making it too different yeah so i wondered uh, what was your approach to that you got a few examples of how you are different than shining force first and foremost <clears throat> uh i handled death pretty differently i i implemented the final fantasy tactics style death system oh i thought about that (laughs) yeah where um so if an enemy or not an enemy if an ally hits hp zero in battle they go into a state that we call fallen and they turn into a little uh tombstone with a banner over it and the banner uh matches that sprite colors um so you can tell them apart okay um and then there's a little card that pops up and flips around uh, animation-wise, and it counts down for three turns. And if you don't revive them or end the battle before the three turns is up, then the tombstone will crumble, and it will permanently remove that player from the battle. Uh, there is no permadeath, so you can still go and pray to the goddess and, and get that character back. Okay. Um, but until you do, they would just be permanently removed from battle. So if you have... Uh, like a heavy damage output magic user die in the first or second round of a long boss fight, you're going to feel it um, because you're probably going to lose that character, you know, and then towards the end of the fight, when you really need them, they're just not going to be there. So there's some strategy involved there. Um, I've always hated the idea of permadeath. I think Final Fantasy Tactics' approach to it is the the most acceptable version, in my opinion, where they, they give they give you three turns to to prevent permadeath. Uh, and if you can't manage to do it, then you're either okay losing that character or you just reset. But uh, it's you know, in Fire Emblem, I feel like I'm I'm going through a battle and then all of a sudden somebody's dead and I've you know <laughs> Everything that I'd planned to do, I just I end up resetting more often than not. Um, yeah, that's all permadeath means to me. I don't do the thing where you accept it and and move on with life. I reset. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I've always Shining Force was really the first tactical RPG I ever played. Um, the idea of permadeath was completely ludicrous to me. Yeah. <laughs> because I was used to just okay, well, I just you know I just paid the church some money and I get my character back. Um, and, <laughs> and it's, it's less, I think a lot of people like permadeath because they feel like it's, you know, it's hard mode. It, it, it increases the challenge and it makes you a more strategic player. Um, I just don't like the anxiety it gives me. I'd much rather have a, a little bit more comfortable play experience where I don't have those sorts of worries. Adding a permadeath flag for mine as a difficulty option. <clears throat> I, I had planned on doing that. And then a friend of mine uh, was musing one day about how 
you didn't have difficulties in old games. You either could beat it or you couldn't. Hmm. And I was like, I like that. I like that. I'm I'm not going to. I'm not going to have permadeath because that's not the design that I want, but I, I was originally going to have multiple difficulties and I was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to make the game that I want to make. All right. I know that if you had permadeath, I would probably never, ever win. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying I suck at video games. So like if, if you put me in that situation, I'm going to be resetting every five minutes. Right. And that's not a good play experience. No. Yeah. <laughs> that so many times before. You yeah. Just... Before you, yeah, exactly. Before you're like, okay, I'm just not playing. Um, okay, ways that it's different. So I, and I'm, this is still not 100% set in stone. Um, I had designed this game with promotion in mind. And when it came time to implement promotion as the last bit of our code engine, I was like, no, nah, I don't do it. <laughs> really? And I, so the thing is, I absolutely love promoting characters in Shining Force. I love promotion paths like using different items to get different abilities and stuff like that. Building this game, which is already way more giant than I had any idea it was going to be. Building this game and staring down the scope of recoloring and or animating <laughs> every single one of my 21 character sets just to give them a class name change and a little bit different uh, stat growth, it just wasn't worth it to me. And I, I do still want to implement... Uh, actual character class growth and ability growth and things like that. Um, but I would rather, at this point, my plan is to do it through the story with War of Lana 2 or 3, where, you know, you'll get Arnon again at some point in 2, and he won't be an archer. He'll be, oh, what class did I give him? Uh, he'll be, you know, he'll be a bowmaster with slightly different abilities and maybe a stronger final ability okay. um, kind of thing. And show it that way, which I think is a little more logical storyline-wise. Storyline really doesn't come into play when you're thinking about the mechanics of promotion. But the the cost to the, you know, me as the artist and animator and the game timeline versus the reward didn't seem like it was going to play out uh, in, in favor of promotion this this particular time okay um what else do we do differently um i okay so again i originally designed the game with an egress style ability um instead of having it as a spell it was a wind relic that the main character had um that you could just use infinitely and it would just teleport you via wind magic out of battle and i might still leave it in i'm at this point i'm really not sure but I can tell you that in all of my playtesting, I've never used it. Really? Um, yeah, I've never, because... So you've never done grinding in your own game? So, okay, that <laughs> that that then caveats to another thing. Um, I allow for random battles. And the yeah, way that I, the way same. that I, yeah, the way that I do random battles is that in every map that is cleared of events, so whatever storyline events happen in a map, once that's done, there's a version of that map called clear. And once the player gets onto that map, there's a little floating exclamation point. And when you go and talk to it, it says that there are enemies nearby and it asks if you want to engage them and you can select yes or no. So even you clicking on that exclamation point to see what it is does not make you fight a random battle. In no way, shape or form do you ever have to do it. So it's not technically a random battle other than the fact that it's a non-story battle. Um, if you want to fight 20 of those battles in a row, just to sit there and grind money or, you know, get some weaker characters up to a higher level, absolutely go for it. But I, I wanted to allow for players who are not grinders to just completely ignore that and go through the game as they want. 
but characters who are grinders say, hey, I'm in this new area. I don't know what kind of enemies are around. I'm going to, you know, fight off some battles and then, you know, maybe a boss coming up is a little bit easier. Or I, you know, I'm this one character got a new ability at this level and this other character's two levels behind and they might get a new ability at that level. So so I'm going to I'm going to go and grind some or, or, you know, maybe I need some more gold. Um, but so so in in designing it that way, I can grind infinitely without ever needing to use that wind relic. Oh, very good approach. Yeah, there there was a lot of JRPG approach that went into this that was not tactical RPG approach. What platforms are you planning on releasing for? Any that I can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any that I am allowed. But... Well, I mean, Unity gives you a, a good bit of flexibility there. Yes, that's absolutely correct. So, so on release, unless I get, I have really good news to share at some point. Um, it will be PC and Mac, and maybe Linux. Uh, I have a friend who has a Linux box that can test for me. Um, but outside of that, um, I would love to do Switch, obviously. Um, yeah. I would love to do Switch. I would love to do PS4. I feel like if I expressed the interest to release my game on Xbox, they would jump at that. But I don't know that it's worth it because I don't know what the extremely niche RPG, tactical RPG, 16-bit player base is on. Um, But, I mean, it it is an option. And, And as far as PC... There's multiple options. I could, I plan to release it right now on Steam and Itch. I could also release it on GOG, I guess. Um, And then maybe Epic, but it would never be exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But pretty much anything and everything that I'm able to. uh, And then once all of that's done, there's plans to basically, you know, fork a branch of our, of our Bitbucket and start to retool it for iOS and just see how it goes. We might end up doing an iOS build. <laughs> we might not. Uh, mobile just doesn't. Uh, I would. I would need somebody else to come in and do that for me because I just mobile is not my favorite platform. <laughs> Same. Absolutely agree. Um, and and that's also potentially an option if if <clears throat> if a third party comes in and says, "Hey, um, you know, we'd love to port your game for." you know, X percent or whatever. Um, if that, if that lined up right and, and I felt like it was worth it, then I might definitely jump on that. Yeah. I mean, I know I can make builds for both and I might experiment with it at some point just to see what it's like, but no, no concrete plans at the moment. Yeah. That, that's essentially where we are with the amount of time and, and fine tuning we've put into the UI and stuff just to get things working right on PC. Uh, I don't even want to think about scrapping all of that in favor of touch yeah okay well how about we wrap it up there because we've been going just around 45 minutes okay i want to thank both of you guys for joining me today it was Uh, a pleasure yeah thanks for having me where can we find you guys on the internet um on twitter you can find me at jmitchell1628 or at loreweaverCW. my company's called loreweaver creative works you can also check it out at loreweaver.io right how about you jeremy I'm still working on getting the website up. It's just taken a backseat to actual game development. So I've I've got everything set up for it. I just need to put something there. It will eventually be www.doolin-digital.com. But uh, for the time being, I've got all the the three major social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, If you just look up Doolin Digital on all three, that's the way to find me. So twitter.com slash Digital, and same with Instagram and Facebook. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you guys again for coming on. And if you're interested, I'd love to have you back on maybe somewhere down the road to 
see how it's going. Yeah, absolutely. Time. All right. So until we come up with a better name, that's it from us at Shining Pod. <laughs> see you next time. See you, Danny. <laughs> see ya. Bye.